and welcome to the Not Your Type podcast, aimed to uplift and empower everyone in the diabetic community, from supporters to professionals, and of course, those living with it. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Not Your Type podcast. I'm your host, Alyssa Gothi, and I'm here to wish you a happy Mother's Day. I know it's a Tuesday, so it's a little early, but this coming weekend is Mother's Day, and I thought what better way to celebrate than to highlight the mothers in the T1D community, whether they are mothers to type 1 diabetics like my own mom or living with it themselves. It's no secret that mothers are true superheroes. I know my mom is, and we should definitely be celebrating them more than one day a year. But mothers who are also living with and managing type 1 diabetes, I swear, have extra superpowers. For this week's episode, I sat down with Stephanie Weaver, who runs the account The Diabetes Diary. She also has her own podcast with the same name, where she talks about living with type 1 diabetes as a mother, what her pregnancy journey was like with type 1 diabetes, a new diagnosis at that, while also living with other chronic illnesses. The conversation we had was really eye-opening as someone who is not a mother, and I not only learned a lot, but gained a lot of insight into a new facet of our T1D community that we really need to advocate and educate for. In this episode, you'll learn a lot more about Stephanie and her journey in the T1D community, but make sure for more information, you can follow her at The Diabetes Diary on Instagram and listen to her podcast, The Diabetes Diary. This is a good one, y'all, so... Let's get into it. Well, hello. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you so much for being here. To start off, I want you to just share a little bit about yourself and what your connection is to the diabetes community. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for having me. I am excited to be here today. Um, First and foremost, I live with type 1 diabetes. I was diagnosed almost two years ago to the day. In fact, in five days from now, it will be two years exactly. I can't believe that it's been two years already, but I I live with type 1 um, and I have experienced it with MDI and now here recently on a pump. So I've got a a little taste of everything here in the last two years. Well, happy diversary, I guess. It's one of the most bittersweet experiences because it's kind of like you celebrate that you've, you know, had a whole year or two years or however long, but then also you realize how long you've had it and it gets, it gets a little sad. So definitely celebrate and treat yourself in five days. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. I am going to treat myself to some cake, I'm sure. So you are a digital creator and a diabetes influencer of sorts with your account, The Diabetes Diary. So what exactly is that and what is your goal with that account? So great question. When I was first diagnosed, I felt this yearning for community, right? I come from a family with no prior you know, family history of type 1 diabetes. So... <clears throat> Upon my diagnosis, I wanted to connect with others who were walking the same path as me. And that's kind of where the diabetes diary organically grew from. I started the account, I want to say maybe a month after my diagnosis, which soon turned into a podcast. I have a podcast myself, the diabetes diary, and also a career switch. I, at the time of my diagnosis was working in the field of mental health, more or less in advocacy. And after my diagnosis, I actually joined forces with the American Diabetes Association and was working on their strategy and insights team. 
So safe to say that my diagnosis completely uprooted my life, but that's pretty much where the Diabetes Diary was born. That's awesome. I didn't know you worked for the American Diabetes Association. So if you didn't know for my account, I'm Miss Polk County and I compete in the Miss America organization. And Nicole Johnson, who was Miss America, works for the American Diabetes Association. Yes. Oh my God. Gosh, I adore her. We actually became very close um, while I was working there. So I'm sure we'll get to this point later, but I did have a baby last year. And at that time I decided to step down and focus solely on my son. Um, but, you know, during my time with the American Diabetes Association, I became very familiar with Nicole and she serves well, I should say rather, she really spearheads something called the People with Diabetes Council. And through our connection, I actually now serve on that as a volunteer. So I am very much acquainted with Nicole and I, I love her. She's a great person. That's awesome. She emailed me once to thank me for some of the work I was doing in the realm of Miss America, since I'm also a title holder living with diabetes and advocating for it as my sort of initiative or service initiative. And I remember I just fangirled so hard because I was like, <laughs> my favorite Miss America. It was so cool. I love that you mentioned it totally uprooted your life because I feel like that always happens. It could, your life could be going picture perfect. And then diabetes is just a wrench in your plans. And no matter what you're going through, I know for me, I was diagnosed my very first week of middle school, which is definitely not an ideal time <laughs> to be diagnosed with something as life-changing as diabetes, but there's never a good time for it. It always is going to uproot your plans, but it's also what we make of it. And so I'm glad that you're making light of it by being that light for other people and, you know, sharing their stories as well as your own. So I appreciate that you are doing that for yourself, but also for other people. Of course. No. And I appreciate you saying that. I think, you know, one of the main reasons I also created the Diabetes Diary was really to be an outlet for others upon newly, you know, diagnosis and just overcoming that hurdle. Because as I said, you know, it was just so life-changing and I wanted a sense of community, but also advice. Sometimes I had some questions that I didn't feel comfortable, you know, asking my healthcare professional or endocrinologist. And actually I was diagnosed at the primary care office, contrary to most people who, you know, go into DKA and in the ICU, what have you. So it was already a very different experience for me. Um, I was recently engaged. We we're planning our wedding and I actually was originally diagnosed with Hashimoto's at the age of 14, which if you know, you or the listeners are unaware, there's actually a connection between type one diabetes and Hashimoto's. But at 14, I was never, you know, made aware, Hey, you should be on, you know, the lookout for these signs of type one diabetes. So I honestly just thought I was killing my bride-to-be diet and I was just drinking water. And yeah, sure enough, I went in because we were doing an annual checkup on my Hashimoto's. And of course, the conversation of pregnancy had come up as we were planning for our wedding. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, down the road, whether it was six months after our wedding or a year that my numbers were in range for my thyroid. And in doing so, I went in and explained some of my symptoms to my provider, which, you know, of course I was losing weight unintentionally. I was drinking a lot of water. I was really tired. You know, the common, the common teas we know, but I also was experiencing a lot of nightmares and believe it or not, I was originally diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. 
and they put me on anxiety medicine. Well, at that same visit, he also, you know, ordered a lab for my A1C. So it wasn't, you know, but like 48 hours later, if that, I remember him calling me being like, okay, I think we misdiagnosed the anxiety disorder. Um, it's because your blood sugars are at like 400 every night. That's why you're having these crazy dreams. You have type one diabetes, you know, at this point, we'll have to put you on insulin therapy. And yeah, from there, oh my gosh, it just, I don't know. I feel like I blinked and I'm here two years later. I can't even believe (laughs) that it's been that long. For me, it's been, it'll be 12 years in August. And that feels crazy because I vividly remember every moment in the hospital when that was happening. I feel like no one will ever forget the moment they're diagnosed because it is just so radical and life-changing. But I love how open you are about your diagnosis story because those are some of my favorite to hear because even though they are often heartbreaking or just so gut-wrenching knowing that someone has to go through that, it's interesting how different they all are and how we all get to the same place despite the differences. It's just so fascinating to me. So I always love hearing them. But the isolation of diabetes is so present, especially when you're first diagnosed. And if you don't have any family history or any family friends or anyone in your life that have it, it can feel so lonely. And that's really hard if you don't have the resources or aren't told where to look, you know, what type of community. So I think it's even better that you were like, well, I'm going to make my own community because there's no one else. And I just feel like the more community resources we have, the better. I think that's really impressive that you were able to do that and recognize that a month after being diagnosed. I mean, not many people can say that or have the strength to do that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And you're absolutely right. I think, you know, at first there was a lot of just devastation. You know, I mean, I remember when my doctor called me, it was like, I was, I was driving. It was a Friday afternoon and my fiance husband now, but fiance at the time was in the passenger seat. And my primary care provider said, you know, you have type one diabetes and I'll be completely honest with you. I really didn't know what it was. I knew what diabetes was, but I couldn't tell you the difference and, you know, type one and type two. And now of course I'm familiar with various (laughs) kinds of diabetes, but at the time I didn't know. And I just said, is that the one where I have to take insulin every day? And he said, yes. And it was like, I remember what street I was on. Like, it was like, it's like a picture in my mind. And I just started crying instantly. And he said, you know, come into the office. It was almost like closing time. I want to say maybe 4.30 in the afternoon. And he said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to teach you how to inject yourself. And oh my gosh, I just, it was so overwhelming in the moment. And looking back, it's like, wow, I really persevered. I just, I want to take a moment to acknowledge the fact that you've done this for 12 years. That is so inspiring. Oh my gosh. Like I look up to people like you because that's just unimaginable for me at sometimes. <laughs> Well, thank you. What's crazy for me. So I do have a family history of diabetes. My dad was diagnosed when he was 13. So he's lived with it for 42 years. So for me, when I was diagnosed, yes, it was isolating because I was the only one in my graduating class up until I graduated high school to be diabetic. And it was obviously very traumatic, but knowing I had my dad and the way that I looked up to him even more was just really special. So I feel like we can always find those people that have lived with it longer and and look up to them and see 
you know, what their experience is because it changes so rapidly too. I mean, if you look at when I was first diagnosed 12 years ago, the CGMs, the pumps, they were not there or not accessible. And now it's so commonplace to even send someone home with an insulin pump upon diagnosis, which is wild to me. So wild. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because when I was diagnosed, I was originally put on MDI, but I walked out of that appointment where he, you know, taught me how to inject myself with a freestyle Libre. And it was like finger pricking was just never a part of my, I mean, it is, you know, it's never, you're never going to get away from it, but fully relying on finger pricking was never a part of, of my type one diabetes management. And see, finger pricking for me and insulin injections were probably around for seven to eight years of my journey. So yeah, it's so it's so interesting to see how people can walk out with very different technologies, which I'm grateful for because I'm very much of the mindset, like if anyone can get away with not going through what I had to go through, then I am fully supportive on board. And I mean, that's why we do all these advocacy efforts too. I mean, it's so people know why it's so important and we can get more people healthier down the line. Um, I want to circle back to, you talked about Hashimoto's. So I'm not that familiar with Hashimoto's syndrome or disease, um, but I do know, I think it was last month was autoimmune disease awareness month. And since type one is an autoimmune disease, we also see a lot of tie over into people living with other autoimmune diseases alongside T1D, whether it's Hashimoto's or celiac disease. I mean, I think it's about one fifth of T1Ds have a secondary autoimmune disease. So can you explain a bit more about what Hashimoto's is and what it's like to have both or the way that it impacts your diabetes? Yeah, of course. So again, as I mentioned earlier, I was unaware that there was a connection between the two when I was 14. So I was diagnosed as an adolescent with Hashimoto's disease. Originally at the time, my symptoms were, you know, major fatigue, just like very dehydrated. I had dry skin. I honestly, I remember I was in PE class and I was accused of trying to get out of class by the nurse. And I was like, no, I really am having a hard time keeping up with my peers. Like I'm very tired today. And long story short, I at the time saw a pediatrician and they noticed a goiter in my neck. So when we have issues with our thyroids, Oftentimes we'll get something called a goiter and it's basically where your thyroid gets really, really inflamed. Your thyroid is like a U-shaped organ around your esophagus and the provider at the time noticed it and ordered some labs in which we realized that I had Hashimoto's. Well, Hashimoto's is essentially hypothyroidism, but it's the autoimmune disease of hypothyroidism. So you can sometimes have hypothyroidism, but it's not the autoimmune. However, I, lucky me, (laughs) was diagnosed with autoimmune disease of 14. So at that point, I saw an endocrinologist and I was put on a daily thyroid synthroid medication, which is basically a fake hormone that essentially replaces what my thyroid is not producing. So I was on medicine for that for, I want to say, oh my gosh, maybe eight years or so. And then right as I went into like adulthood, my number was just above the threshold to where I didn't need medicine every day. Um, Now, 
walk a little further down the line. And then type one diabetes, of course, came in my lap and that made me uh, high risk for pregnancy. And during my pregnancy journey, because of just the strain of pregnancy and because of its weight on my thyroid, I now will be on Synthroid for life. But I will say that there was a gap in there to where I didn't need medicine for a few years and it was great, but it's okay. Life happens, you know, but that's, that's pretty much how Hashi's has, has transpired over the years. And aside from medication, is there other ways to kind of help those symptoms? Like, is there a special diet or do you have to follow any other certain rules, I guess? Um, no, unfortunately, I, I mean, I wish it were that simple, <laughs> but it is not. Um, the thyroid itself, it's just not producing the hormones that my body needs to function. So really, you know, I mean, here's how I think of it though. You know, if it's one pill a day, now you do have to take the pill every day at the same time to make sure, of course, the hormones are regulated correctly. Um, you have to take it while you're fasting and 30 minutes before meals. So I hit it. I take it right when my feet hit the floor every morning. I will say though, you know, one pill a day, in my opinion, is not near as detrimental as like type one diabetes, right? The constant insulin injections and such. So it could be worse. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much my regimen with Hashi's. Interesting. Well, I'm glad I know more about it because I've definitely heard of it before, but I didn't actually know what it was like or what it looked like. So thank you for sharing that. I want to go back to a main part of your Instagram account, actually, which is talking about pregnancy and motherhood, which you've touched on a little bit earlier. So focusing more on pregnancy first, I know there's a lot of myths or even fears surrounding pregnancy, especially as someone who lives with a chronic illness like type 1 diabetes. I know the idea of being pregnant and having it be a high-risk pregnancy is very frightening to me. So what are some of those myths that surround, you know, being pregnant with diabetes or some of those fears that you can kind of break down for us? Sure thing. So I, I love this topic because I think when I went into pregnancy, of course, blindfolded, as I said, right, I don't have a family history of it and I don't have anybody in my, you know, small village or community um, around me within my family and friends that live with it. So I kind of went in blindfolded and I was really nervous because you hear things like, oh, you have to have a C-section, right? Because your baby's going to be super large because you have type one or you need a pump in order to have a healthy pregnancy. And a lot of this, you know, really scared me because at the time I was on MDI, right? And, you know, I was nervous. Like, of course, I was putting my all into my type one management to, of course, create the most healthy and nurturing environment for uh, my baby as possible. I was still scared because as I was going through the pregnancy, they were noticing that my baby was measuring a little bit larger. Now, this towards the end definitely was why I was induced at 38 weeks. However, when the baby was born, he was perfectly fine. Like his size, the way he was measuring in utero was not how he was born. Yeah. He, he was born in fact, smaller than they were measuring him. So it's, I will say you really have to be, you know, your own advocate too, because I understand a lot of what they're doing is preventative, right? We would rather him not get, you know, stuck in the birth canal. So let's induce her a little early, what have you. Um, but he ended up being just fine. And, you know, the, the fact of 
managing pregnancy with MDI versus a pump. So I remember not long into my pregnancy when the insulin resistance was starting to come on board, I talked to my endo and I said, Hey, how about a pump? And he said, okay, there's a learning curve to it. This is not the time for that. Like your numbers are fine. Just keep pushing through. And I told him though, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people saying that, you know, I can't have a healthy pregnancy with MDI. And he said, that's absolutely not true. You know, you can. And you know, contrary to popular belief, I did keep my A1C in the fives the entire pregnancy up until, yes, up until the end when, let me just put into perspective for you. So pre-pregnancy, my basal was 17 units a day. By the end of the third trimester, I was taking 45 units of basal per day. Yes, it was incredible. (laughs) It was crazy. And so basically, you know, you just, you find your way to stay on top of it, but managing pregnancy with MDI is totally, like, it's totally possible, a healthy pregnancy, a healthy baby. And he was born, um, with the ability to regulate his own sugars from the jump and he didn't have to go to the NICU, right? We hear that's another myth too, that your baby's going to have to go to the NICU. And that one scared me so much that I purposely chose to deliver at a hospital with a NICU and I didn't even need it, you know? And it's just, uh, pregnancy with type one can be scary, but it totally is manageable. And like you said earlier, thank God we have the technology that we do these days, you know, to aid us and, and to have healthy pregnancies and deliveries and such, but it's totally possible. Well, I applaud you for keeping your A1C that low, especially while pregnant, because some people, including myself at times, cannot keep their A1C that low, not pregnant. So that's amazing. How, how was that experience? I guess, cause you were recently diagnosed when you became pregnant. What have you noticed is different about being pregnant with diabetes versus just living with it on its own? So that's a great question. Let me say too, my A1C <laughs> has not been that low since I delivered. <laughs> so, you know, that's just being transparent here. I want to note that when you feel life like growing inside of you, when you know life is growing inside of you, it is motivation unlike any you've ever felt. So I became pregnant, I think six months after my diagnosis. At diagnosis, my A1C was 15.5. Five months later, it was 6.6. And at that point, my endo gave me the green light to start trying to conceive. And my husband and I actually had a miscarriage, which was totally unrelated to the type 1 diabetes. However, um, not long after, like a month or something, we conceived with our son. And it was, it all happened so fast. But while I was pregnant, you know, it was like, I I heard from my endo that sometimes folks who are newly diagnosed, like since it's all so new and fresh, they just have, again, if it's motivation or just like, it's not so secondary. They haven't been living with it. It's still fresh, right? So it's like these fresh goals and you're still learning, but you just have this momentum, right? To like, want to, want to stay on it. Now I'll say nine months of an A1C in the fives kicked my tail. And once he came earthside, I was like, that's it. I'm taking a break. You know, like, so I've definitely cut back and chilled out uh, uh, quite a bit with my, my management, not too much, but enough to breathe because it's exhausting nine months of that. So And I think as a parent too, you probably still feel at least some of that motivation because I know my dad, when I 
especially when I was diagnosed, he really kicked it into high gear of taking care of his diabetes because he was like, I am a role model living with this for my daughter who is now going to either learn bad habits from me or is going to live a healthy life. And that really kicked him into gear of saying, okay, well, I need to really focus on taking care of myself so she can take care of herself. And his A1C has been incredible, honestly, ever since then, because I think he still has that mentality. And so I love that you, that you brought that up because honestly, I didn't even think of that. I always think of as someone who, you know, may experience pregnancy with type one, I, you know, I'm only thinking of, oh, what could go wrong? What could happen? What will happen with my diabetes? So I love that you bring up that, you know, you're feeling motivated because this incredible thing is happening to you. Right, exactly. And pregnancy is just so surreal in itself that, you know, for example, like when you're feeling the baby kicks, it's like, oh my gosh, this is so real, you know? So it's like, oh yeah, okay. I'm planning the nursery and I'm getting all of these things and I'm packing the hospital bag. But all the while, it's also like, am I giving my baby the best, you know, environment to nourish in? And you just, you watch everything you're putting in your body and not just because, you know, you're supposed to, but also because of your blood sugars. And it's just, again, it's just this natural motivation that comes and it's like, it's not instinctive, I don't want to say, but in the same breath, it's just a second nature. You know, it's like, I want to give my baby the best. So, well, something my dad also always says is I'm the healthiest person I know, despite my diabetes. And that kind of reminded me of that because we always have to know what's going on. And yes, we have our days where we don't want to do it. I mean, I've experienced even prolonged periods of diabetes, distress and burnout, but we really do just have to be watchful of our health and our bodies all the time. Shifting from pregnancy to motherhood now. So on the other side of it, after you've gone through the pregnancy, you've, you've done it so beautifully and you've had that, you know, big win of good A1C, you know, healthy pregnancy. How is it different navigating motherhood as a diabetic? You have this newborn or, or about a year old. Almost. Yes. He will be a year in less than two months. So how is that different, you know, being a mother now that he's a part of your life outside of everything else? Yes. You know, this is a great question. And I really appreciate you highlighting this because if I'm being completely transparent here, I don't think that there was enough preparation from my healthcare teams um, in regards to how to prepare for this stage of life. Now, after delivery, I want to note that I experienced something called postpartum phenomenon and it happens to a lot of women where you really like don't need insulin for a little bit. It's incredible. So I, after he was born, we immediately, okay. So remember my pre-pregnancy, I was taking 17 units of basal a day. We cut down to half of that, right? So we just went for eight And that's what we stuck with. Now I found myself needing to actually cut that back even. And I found myself not really bolusing for meals and stuff. Now don't get me wrong. This did start to kind of go away after a week. Um, but it was still incredible. It was like, wow, my pancreas is working for like maybe seven days. Hooray. Now I also, you know, had the aspect of breastfeeding, which was also playing into it. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but 
Breastfeeding with type 1 diabetes causes a lot of hypoglycemia. And for any listeners who don't have type 1 diabetes, that is low blood sugar. So it's really important that, you know, you have your nursing stations like stocked with easy, um, low snacks that, you know, you can get with one hand. So it was a lot of exploring and just like figuring things out at first. Um, I will say though, the older he's gotten, the harder type 1 diabetes has gotten to manage because he's becoming, you know, more of a full-time job. I mean, he's crawling now. He's into everything. He wants to, you know, play with the pots and pans and go on the stairs and torment the dogs. And basically I had to come to my endo, um, right around the time that he was, I want to say eight months old. And I told my endo, like, I, this is becoming really anxiety inducing for me. I'm trying to carry this baby around, but give myself injections with the other hand, you know, I'm, I'll bolus and then, like he'll be crying and then, you know, he'll, he'll need something. And then I'll forget that I bolused and boom, there I am like 50 and dropping, you know? And so it's been a tight rope to walk since he's gotten a little older. And that actually brought me to my decision to get on a pump because I needed a little extra help. Um, as I said, at the beginning of this episode, you know, I originally was working for the American Diabetes Association full-time, but I've decided to step back and focus solely on my son full-time as well as grad school. And between the two, I, I'm swamped, you know? So um, now I use the Omnipod 5 and I have a Dexcom G6. So between the two, I feel like my management has definitely improved and it's gotten easier, you know, to have technology on my side and in my pocket because being a mom, it's, it's, it's a lot of hard work. You know, he's busy. He's very busy. I can, I can imagine I'm a teacher. So I teach the kids all day and then like (laughs) having to have that at home too. Oh my gosh. A few things that you highlighted though. I didn't even know that breastfeeding caused hypoglycemia or that you had a period where you essentially had a working pancreas after giving birth. That's really cool to know and probably a nice perk almost for a little bit to be like, I just broke this human. This is now my reward. And I really do wish we had more resources that, I mean, you are now providing, but I wish from some of those organizations and our healthcare teams, we had that information for new mothers because being a new mother is hard enough on its own. I can't even imagine what that would be like on someone's body who doesn't have any health defects or chronic illnesses, but to also balance, especially a new type one diagnosis, you need more help than, you know, what is being provided. So it's great that you can be that resource, but we also need the professionals in healthcare to understand that too. And since we are starting to run out of time, um, I have a lightning round of just a few quick questions to answer for our lightning round. Number one, what's your favorite low blood sugar snack? Go, go squeeze applesauce. I love those. Those are so good. <laughs> I always was self-conscious those were just for babies. <laughs> I know sometimes I feel bad because I'll be eating one of my sons like, okay, my turn. And I'm like, no, nope, I need this. <laughs> I need this more. Okay. Speaking of your son, what is your favorite part about motherhood? 
Oh, I love this question. Honestly, it's just the stages, like watching him coo for the first time and then smile and then, you know, want to grab your face. And now he's like trying to cruise on furniture. It's just every new phase brings new excitement. I mean, they're bittersweet, right? It's like, oh, that chapter is closed. But at the same time, it's just, it's so fun. Like they're always changing. When you were pregnant, what was your go-to pregnancy craving if you had one? Oh my gosh, cinnamon rolls, which was terrible <laughs> for my blood sugars. Oh my gosh, but they were so good. You know, like the Pillsbury Cinnabon ones. It's always the starchy, sweet breakfast food. <laughs> like for me, I cannot do pancakes. My blood sugar will be like 300. But sometimes yeah. I'm like, I just really want pancakes. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, what is next for you? Are you still playing it by ear? Are you doing more with the Diabetes Diary? What can we kind of expect? So, um, lots of fun stuff. Well, as I've mentioned quite a few times, I am in grad school. I am studying a master's of health administration at George Mason university. I'm an online student. Um, however, I will be done within, oh my gosh, a year now. I only have a few more classes and then my capstone. Um, so after that, I am definitely jumping back into the healthcare space, likely something to do with diabetes. However, now that I've navigated diabetes with pregnancy and breastfeeding, I'm thinking I'm going to probably pave a way in that path. So we'll see. Um, however, for the diabetes diary, I of course will continue uh, to operate the Instagram there as well as the podcast, which I'm hoping to expand the podcast. It's been, I want to say in its infancy still, because of course this last year I've been navigating life as a mom. Um, so I haven't been able to explore as much as I've wanted to, um, but that's definitely a goal here for 2023. Well, I'm so grateful that you hopped on the podcast because I've learned so much. I know so many of my listeners will learn so much. And I'm just so grateful that you are also leading the way for people going through pregnancy or motherhood with diabetes so they don't feel so alone. So I'm excited to see what's next. Where can people find you? So they can find me on Instagram at the dot diabetes diary. And my podcast is the diabetes diary. So I also can be contacted by email as well. The diabetes diary inquiries at Gmail, um, but Instagram is probably the best place that you can find me. And I can vouch that the posts are incredible and sometimes make me tear up. So definitely worth the follow. Thank you so, so much, Stephanie, for being on this podcast. I cannot thank you enough for being a light in our community that we desperately need and sharing your impactful story, not just for me, but for the world. Make sure you follow along with her and listen to her own podcast. I'm excited to see everything that she does in the future and celebrate her for her first Mother's Day this year. Whether you're celebrating Mother's Day or not, have a wonderful Sunday. And until next time...